Welcome to Paranerds. I'm Erica. I'm Jesse. And this Hello. is the... What? Hello. I just said hi. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Thanks. Uh, we wanted to say welcome with such enthusiasm because we have made it an entire season. We did a season. A whole season with how many episodes? We did 20? 20. This is our 20th. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Yeah. 20 Congrats. of anything is a lot. Well, except yeah. for maybe like grains of rice or something. But generally, like 20 <laughs> puppies would be a lot. 20 not burritos enough. would be a lot. Also not, not enough. enough. <laughs> <laughs> These are bad examples. I want more of both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll have to think on what's a better example of 20 things. 20 that are punches in the face. Not That's enough. a lot. <laughs> 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 to each their own to each their own indeed yeah so this is our season finale yeah we when are we it. coming back march 27th we're taking two weeks off yep yeah yeah we've been doing the work and we're gonna have a whole new theme song and we, we i know are. we've spoken to you for the last couple weeks about our new format Mm -hmm. We're changing it up a bit. We're kind of, you know, this was a experiment for both of us. So now we're just streamlining everything a bit more now that we've learned how we work best, I think. Yeah. And we've we finally hit a groove and it feels good. I feel like sure our does. episodes keep getting tighter. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Um, also, when we come back for season two, episode one, we will be announcing the winner of our song contest. Yep, we are reviewing those entries now, so we're excited mm -hmm. and we hope you put some good stuff in the pot. <laughs> we know they did. Yeah, I mean, we know, we know, we know you they did. did. Listeners. We, we trust we you. you put some good shit in there. Yeah, we, mean, we trust your music taste. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So what you have a you have an article for me? I do, and I'd actually like to thank our friend Mallory for pointing me in the direction of this story because I'd never heard about it. Did you ever listen to well you probably wouldn't because it's out in Nevada. You never heard of the Art Bell show, have you? As far as a radio show? Art Bell? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, he had this radio show out in Nevada that discussed conspiracy theories and the paranormal. Like, that was his thing. Mm, okay. Now, September 11th... Was he 11th, the guy that did the Shadow People one? Maybe? Yeah, look that up. I'm, I'm curious. But um, this particular incident happened September 11th, 1997. And it was an Area 51-themed call-in program. Mm-hmm. Now, a hysterical man, he said he was a former Area 51 worker, called into the show 
to warn all the listeners that he knew about a series of impending disasters. Whoa. Yeah. It sounds heavy in concept, but what I'd like to do, if you're curious, is send you the audio right now, and I kind of want to throw you on the spot and hear your live reactions to how <laughs> this caller was. Oh, is it going to be spooky? Am I going to get spooked? I felt pretty uneasy after listening to it. Oh, great. And then we can talk <laughs> a little more about what he says and and whatnot. Are you down? Okay. Yeah. Once Jesse's finished listening to it, I would like to read this out for listeners that are curious and don't feel like actually clicking the link to listen themselves. <laughs> Again, this is late night, early morning from September 11th into September 12th, 1997. Um, Art says, on my Area 51 line, you're on the air, hello. The caller says, hello, Art. Art says, yes. Caller sounding frightened. I don't have a whole lot of time. Art says, well, look, let's begin by finding out if you're using this line properly or not. Caller says, okay, in Area 51. Art says, yes, are you an employee? Or are you now? The caller says, I'm a former employee. I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago. And, and I've kind of been running around across the country. Damn, I don't know where to start. They're, they're gonna, they'll triangulate on this position really soon. Art says, so you can't spend a lot of time on the phone. Give us something quick. The caller says while his voice is breaking up with apparent suppressed crying, Okay, um, um, okay. What we're thinking of as aliens, Art, they're extra-dimensional beings that, an earlier precursor of the space program, they make contact with. They are not what they claim to be. They've infiltrated a lot of aspects of, of the military establishment, particularly the Area 51. The disasters that are coming, they, the military... Long pause. I'm sorry, the government knows about them. And there's a lot of safe areas in this world they could be they could begin moving the population to now, Art. Art says, so so they're not doing anything. Caller says they are not. They want those major population centers wiped out so that the few that are left will be easily more controllable. And the line goes dead. Transmission lost. Was that it? Does he call back? Uh-uh. Hmm. I mean, he doesn't say that there's anything specific, like, that's going to happen. Yeah, but what, like, what's the feeling you got from it? I guess is what I'm asking you. I mean, I want to say it's fake. That's the feeling I got. Really? Yeah. Maybe I'm just easier to convince. That could be the case. Uh, he he kind of sounds like he's... I, I've been wrong before. I'm not... I don't think I'm, like, a great person at reading people when it comes to whether they're telling the truth or not. I'm I'm not. Like, I don't fucking know. Um, but it's like his hysteria could definitely be just him acting or him you know when you like want to like sound upset you like hyperventilate for a second like before you start talking no because you know? i'm not a sociopath but the, give me okay okay i'll, I'll show you <laughs> what i mean give what's something that i could be upset about 
your car not starting. Okay. All right. You just hyperventilate for like a quick second and then you like say the thing that you're supposed to be upset about and it makes you sound like you've been crying for hours. You go like, my car's not starting, Erica. I need help. You sound fake as fuck. What's that? I'm not an actor. Oh, like, you're not an actor. But that's kind of the, the, like, sound I'm getting from him, like, in the call. It sounds like he's very, like, out of breath, and he's just like, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, I guess we could put it that way, yeah. But, uh... That's kind of what it sounds like to me. But he could be crying. I don't know. Yeah, what what I found interesting originally about this story is that... The man that runs this show says that he's been doing it for such a long time, but that was the first time that his station ever, like, the equipment just, like, he's off. Oh, yeah. The radio station, like, got cut out. That's creepy. Yeah. So, um, through, through the miracle of satellite technology, the show host transmits this call to more than 400 radio stations all across the U.S. Mm. Yeah. And he's at oh, it's the, a stir, I'm sure. And where his station is is only about a mountain range away from Area 51. He says, mm. "Weird, weird stuff." In all my life, my uplink transmitter was dead as a doornail. In all those years of broadcasting, right in the middle of that call. So later That's that night, wild. yeah, and um, later that night he. Off, and this wasn't in the YouTube clip that I sent you. He offers to listeners his take on it. And he says, that's beyond coincidence. It was done to you. Yeah, that's creepy. I mean, yeah, that I mean, that coincidence like can't be um, understated, you know? Yeah. And um, I guess I would have found it to be weirder if he didn't already have a show that discusses alien abductions, crop circles, cloning and bird flu, El Nino, cattle mutilations, and anthrax scares. Like, those are all controversial things that he was bringing up regularly. Right. Yeah, so I think if there's anything of substance to it, it's that bit talking about aliens being an earlier precursor of the space program, etc., if there's any truth to that, I think it just kind of confirms what we've been saying for a whole season. Government cover-up. Yeah. What? Okay, so he was trying to say that there was going to be, like, catastrophic events in the future that's going to wipe out a ton of the population. Yeah. The only one I can really think of... I mean, there's obviously been war in the Middle East and nine eleven. Which I think is interesting that this call happened on September 11th, 1997. Yeah. I mean, dates can totally be coincidental. I'm not that wild in terms of conspiracy theory, but (laughs) interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's been war. There's been hurricanes and um, wildfires. The government can control the weather. You've seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is what you went to? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) But yeah, that's what I... I don't know. This guy was on a radio show. That's what I'm kind of just like... (laughs) 
It's a dude on a radio show who sounded real upset. <laughs> if, like, immediately following this call, there was, like, a string of disasters in the next, like, four or five years, then I would be like, ding, ding. But, I mean, 9-11 wasn't until 2001, which was how many years after? Four. Like, four. Actually, that's not that many. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you said four or five years. Like, that uh -oh. was within four. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. But, but I guess I'm saying a string of disasters like that. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But yeah. um, I still thought whether or not it's a hoax, the the urgency in which the guy was laying his story out there was was concerning. And if I were listening to a radio show and heard someone that into their belief that something awful was going to happen, it would definitely make me paranoid for a while. Yeah, and then the radio show cut out unexpectedly. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty scary. Yeah, that that's the scariest thing about it. Not even necessarily what the guy was saying, but that he said it, and the powers that be, whatever they are, cut the signal. Ended that radio show. Mm -hmm. Watch our signal go out right now. <laughs> no. Not, not on our season finale. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. People should go listen to that clip. Yeah. Have your own opinion about it. I think I'm going to stay on the skeptic side and say it was fake, but uh, who knows? I, I'm i in the middle where yeah. I believe that this this caller believed what he was saying. Whether or not it was true, I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. He, he was convinced he knew. Um, hmm? I mean, I don't know how trustworthy is Art Bell. Yeah. Like, I know he's had, I don't know, he's had a radio show discussing paranormal stuff for years, years and years. Yeah, and it took uh, the government or the aliens or whoever cut the signal that long to cut it? No, I'm saying he could have set it up to cut oh, out. Oh, oh. To be like, yeah. ooh, look, government, spooky. And for, for ratings. Yeah. For ratings. Just a possibility. I don't yeah. know. Apparently he died of an accidental drug overdose. Aliens. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no. Not drug overdose is not something to laugh at. No, it's not. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know much about um about the guy's life outside of this particular snippet, this story. But um as far as I can tell, like he he had some acclaim to him, but he wasn't necessarily like Howard Stern popular. Ow. What? I'm just reading about his death. Oh. It's pretty wild. Is it? I mean, I'm not gonna I don't know if there is any other people who who find this sketchy, but he just at the age of 72, he died of because he had four different prescription medication drugs in his system, which consisted of opioids, Vicodin, Valium. Wow. And some other stuff. Yeah, which That's is... That's quite the cocktail. Goodness. I'm just saying, I think most people would know that you don't do all of those at once. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm with you. Hey, Twisted listeners, I'm Cindy. And I'm Diva. And we are Twisted Listers, a weekly podcast about murder. And lists. 
Each week, we choose a new topic and we cover 10 cases all under that common theme. We've done incredible fun topics like family annihilators. Cannibals. Killer grandmas. And we've also done survivor stories for those of you that like a more uplifting tale. So if this sounds like your kind of party, join us every Monday wherever you like to listen to podcasts. So yeah, we hope you tune in and we hope that you stay off our lists. Bye. All right, you got the deep dive this week, man. I sure fucking do. This is a topic um, that has a lot of conflicting information. Oh, uh, is that it, a theme for today? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe. Um, conflicting information just because it was so heavily publicized for a very, very long time that there's a lot of different perspectives that are looking at this story. So everyone has a different idea. Um, so this story that I'm going to tell is what's pretty consistent through all of the stories but at the end i'll kind of go into other theories of stuff that may have happened um during the story mm -hmm. so i need uh, to have my listening ears like ready have your listening ears looking ready all right we are going to start in the summer of 1980 in the sleepy town of brookfield connecticut a young couple couple recently engaged debbie glatzel and Arnie Cheyenne Johnson bought a fixer-upper home. Debbie and Cheyenne were very much in love. When they met, Cheyenne was 12 years old, and Debbie was 19. He immediately took a liking to her. She obviously refused for many years until they got together when he was 16 and she was 23. Uh, which is still probably way too young for him, I think, to be Yeah, um, only 16. I'm not going to be too harsh on the age gap, only because, like... Andy and I are seven years apart, but I think it, there there's a certain time in your life that that age gap is inappropriately large. Yeah, the the teen years are very transformative. But for the most part, 16-year-olds aren't the most mature. I know I wasn't. And no, and Yeah, if you if you flip the genders and had the girl being 16 and the guy being 23, it would seem much more inappropriate. Yeah. I mean, but regardless, it's still inappropriate, but I get what you mean in that's terms what I'm of, like, saying. society's yeah. view on it. Yeah. The like, double when you standard. think about, yeah, the double standard. And obviously, I mean, this just kind of made me think of Anakin and Padme because they <laughs> met when he was so young and he, like, immediately fell in love with her. <laughs> oh, is this story going to end with uh, with one of them murdering a bunch of Padawans? <laughs> Maybe. Let's see. Killing all the younglings. Um, Debbie was very good friends with all the Johnsons and lived with them for some time. Both families were very involved with each other. Mary, Cheyenne's mother... Which um, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson goes by Cheyenne most of the time, so I'm going to refer to him as a Cheyenne. Okay. Uh, Mary Cheyenne's mother grew ill, so Debbie and Cheyenne stepped up and took care of the rest of the kids. Which I don't know how wow. many kids she had. I think it was two or three, maybe more. I know there were also, like, cousins that they took care of. So, yeah, at the young age of 16, he was basically a father. And Debbie kind of stepped into this like stepmom type role almost and uh -huh. even though they weren't married because Cheyenne was 16 
um, uh, Cheyenne did tell everyone that she was his wife. Like, they okay. got very close very quickly and almost became, like, mother and father to these kids. I mean, that that's a really hefty responsibility to take on any time, but especially at exactly. that age. Like, when you're, you exactly. haven't even gone to prom yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think around this time, Cheyenne did drop out of school, probably because of all that stress. Like, mm-hmm. he had a lot to do. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, so, this house that they just bought, they... It was a real fixer-upper, but they bought it so that all the Johnsons could go live in the country, and it also happened to bring them closer to Debbie's family. So they just wanted to be a big old happy family, move, like, into this, like, open space where they had more room. They could all, like, take care of each other. Um, They just had to fix up the house first, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Shortly after buying the house, they met a man named Alan Bono, who had just rolled into town uh, to run his sister's dog kennel. He promptly offered Debbie a job at Brookfield Kennels. Debbie and Cheyenne decided to live with the Glatzels, Debbie's family, mm-hmm. until their house was ready to live in. I don't know if it's Glatzel or Glatzel. Glatzel. I kind of like Glatzel. Me too. I don't know why in, in my mind it makes me think of pretzels and that makes me happy. Glatzel, pretzel. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like the, the Glatzel should own a pretzel shop. Yeah, that'd be a good business for them. <laughs> yep. So Debbie's family, living close by, comes over to the new house, um, you know, to help fix it up, to check it out. And um, that is when 12-year-old David Glatzel, Debbie's younger brother, reported that he had a strange encounter in the master bedroom. Um. And depending on who you ask about the story, it happened differently. But because at one point, the mom says she was in the room with David, but someone else said David was alone in the room. Um, all I know is that there were there were a bunch of people in the house and they had all checked out the master bedroom separately. But I don't know if he was alone or not when this happened. But okay. he was in the master bedroom and suddenly he was pushed onto the bed, which side note. That bed was a water bed that was left over from the previous owner, who, which is very sketchy. <laughs> who reuses a water bed? I don't know. Um, I don't know. The only experience I have with water beds, my mom and stepdad had one for a long time, and I always felt like it's not easy to get out of, Mm-mm. and the water inside has to be pretty gross. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's sealed, right? I mean, it's sealed, it has to be. but like, I don't know. I just, I feel weird. <laughs> I, I would feel weird about using anyone's used mattress, no matter what kind of mattress it was. But for yeah. whatever reason, it being a waterbed makes it more gross to me. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Okay. I can't explain it, but it does make it more disgusting to me as That's well. a phenomena. Why are waterbeds <laughs> creepier? Tell us. <laughs> Let's investigate this more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> David was suddenly pushed onto the bed. He looked up and he saw an old man in a torn plaid shirt and jeans who said to him, beware, before disappearing. No one else saw the old man. At first, when David told them about this, Debbie and the family just shrugged it off, thinking that it was just his imagination or David was trying to get out of chores. So he was making up something because he didn't want to help clean the house, which I get. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, but that night in the Glatzel home, not in the new home, in the Glatzel home, David sees the man again. But this time, he's burned with black skin and feet like a deer. That's a quote from David. He said that his feet were like a deer. And from there, the encounters grew more frequent and violent. The family would wake up to David crying hysterically, describing visions of a man with black, with big black eyes, a thin face, animal features, and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. Judy and Carl Glatzel, the mom and dad, contacted the local church first. The church attempted to bless the house, talk to David, figure out what was going on, and everything just kept getting worse, no matter what they did. Mm -hmm. So the church people contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren, our BFFs. Oh, okay. (laughs) Everybody should know who they are. I think so. We've talked about... Other stories involving Ed and Lorraine Warren, right? Yeah. Um, Ed and Lorraine. I'm trying to think about what stories they're... Amityville is the first one that I think of. Mm-hmm. Um, one with the doll. I don't know if we talked about oh, that Annabelle. one. Oh, Annabelle. No, we haven't. Annabelle. We haven't yet, but I'd like to eventually. Yeah. 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 Um, I think and most people it? know who they are. What? Yeah. Well, no, it was... Um, I can't remember which movie it was. If it was one of the conjuring movies or not but there was a case in england that they that that they were a part of the enfield whatever it was oh i didn't know about that one okay anyway go ahead anyway ed and lorraine warren for those who don't know ed is a demonologist lorraine is a clairvoyant and they are a married couple that likes to go around um talking about demons and they help perform exorcisms and they are apparently very knowledgeable about this subject. They give speeches around the country. Um, and they have a museum now full of, like, haunted objects. I would not like to go. So, no, I'll hard pass on that one. Yeah. Um, I, In <laughs> yeah. a way, I want to say that the Warrens are, like, couple goals. Like, how cool is that? But at the same time... Right. I, I don't know how legitimate I really feel they are. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But Ed and Lorraine Warren, when they hear about David and the family, they contact their friend who was a doctor who happened to have a kid who had the same learning disability that David had because they found out that David had a learning disability. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to bring this doctor who wasn't a psychologist or a psyche, what? Psychiatrist. psychiatrist. (laughs) It took me a minute. Yeah. I don't think that that it was that kind of doctor, but... They just brought like their friend who had who had experience with this particular learning disability, because um, they wanted that doctor to like kind of talk to David and figure out if his problem stemmed from that learning disability. Yeah. By the time the Warrens arrived, which I think it was two weeks after the first creepy thing happened with David in the new house. Mm-hmm. By the time they arrived, Judy, the mom, stated that they were quote living in hell. The family referred to the entity as the Beast. Around 11 o'clock every night, David would start screaming, shouting obscenities, violently twisting and turning, and constantly flinching in pain. When attempting to restrain him, David would attack his family, spitting, kicking, and even attacking his grandmother with a knife. It would take four to five men to hold him down. Ed Warren reported that he even saw David levitate. 
the Warrens knew instantly that this was not a ghost, that it was a demon. They were like, whoa. That that was it? They were like, whoa? They were like, hey, that's a fucking demon. Let's get it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you tried to get that, that demon out? That's a fair reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they I think it, Ed said it was a uh, stereotype possession is the word he used. That it was pretty much like standard like possession. Textbook. Yeah, textbook possession things would happen. Along with David's behavior, the Glatzels reported seeing a toy dinosaur move on its own and a voice come out of it that said, Beware, you're all going to die. Uh, along with a, plates. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, that's just an, that's an R-rated version of Toy Story. Kinda. Yeah, the dinosaur he looked he looked like Rex. He really? was like a T Rex. Yeah, Ed and Lorraine Warren brought it on a T um, on like a TV show they were on. <laughs> like, look at this dinosaur. It was haunted once, and it, it yeah it it wasn't a Toy Story thing, but yeah, but you're you're bringing the nightmare fuel. Later. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was like a little T Rex. Yeah, along with that, plates levitating, chairs being thrown into the air, and other, uh, you know stereotypical ghost ghost stuff it was ghosty demony stuff happening uh david also would speak in like a crazy language uh, he didn't know before he predicted that cheyenne would fall out of a tree and he did luckily he wasn't injured david also predicted that there would be a murder oh oh did he did he say specifically who would be murdered no i think he just would talk when he was uh, like under the influence of demon, he would just talk about murders a lot. He would just say that people were gonna die and shit. Yeah, no, I just I love the way you said that under the influence of demon. It's like under the influence yeah. of alcohol, <laughs> under the but influence of demonic possession. <laughs> yeah, he's not responsible. <laughs> Foreshadowing. The Warrens said, yeah, that this was a uh, possession, so they organized an exorcism. And there was a lot of he said, she said with the Warrens asking for an exorcism. Because um, the Warrens say there was six priests involved, three from the local church and three from the Vatican. But the Bishop of Bridgeport declined to authorize the rite. Some priests were able to perform, quote, lesser exorcisms. Boy, um, they were never allowed to talk about what happened. Okay. Um, the reason, yeah, the reason that the church reports that the exorcisms were declined, it was because the family would not consent to the necessary psychological test that they were required to. Hmm. But why not? Judy, the mom, was the reason. And it's kind of unclear why she didn't want to, because on one hand, she was saying that she didn't trust psychiatrists. She also was saying that a little of each or uh, both. Well, yeah. welcome to the American healthcare problem, I guess. Kind yeah. of. Um, yeah. But also, I know she mm-hmm. at one point did bring him to a psychologist, but she only did it like once, and it wasn't like up to the Vatican standards for like a full-on psychiatric evaluation. Uh, I got you. Yeah. Well, I was thinking maybe that was the case, that if they tried to go to one before, that maybe it was so traumatic for him 
that she's like, mm-hmm. I don't want my kid to have to go through that again, especially if the Maybe. second time is going to be more intrusive and more intense for him. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I don't... All I know is that he had a learning disability. So for him to be diagnosed with a learning disability, he definitely had to see a doctor at some point because of that. Yeah. But as far as, like, after, while he was possessed, if he, like, got... If a doctor was able to say anything about his condition is unclear because they wouldn't take him in for more tests. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they were only allowed to do lesser exorcisms. <laughs> a lesser? And... That's what it's called? A lesser? Like a diet exorcism? That's what they called it, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know why. <laughs> like the Kmart brand of exorcisms. Yeah, <laughs> generic exorcism. <laughs> like uh... The first... Huh? No, I was saying like uh like Dr. Perky is to Dr. Pepper. Exactly. A, a lesser exorcism. <laughs> the first exorcism first lesser exorcism was performed at St. Joseph's Church and it failed. I didn't realize an exorcism could fail completely, but I mean... because David was not under control of the entity the whole time that they were trying to do this exorcism. So they like brought him to this house. It was like a property that the church owned. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, doing exorcism stuff, like praying over him. And But he was never under control. He was just laying there like, I'm David. No, no big deal. Um, but <laughs> the morning after, when they were getting in the car to go back home, all of a sudden, David became under control of the demon. And... He refused to get in the car, um, and he tried to stab at his mom and his grandma, and then he just ran off oh into the street. Just ran away. Well, maybe <laughs> they got him back, but <laughs> the the demon just needed a nap, and it was at a really bad time. Yeah, well, I think that's the point. I think he wanted it to be at a at a bad time. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if you act out while you're in that space, it's not going to do much. But if you do it in the car. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to cause as much chaos as possible. I'd be like, I'm not getting in the car. Stab, stab. Big chaotic evil energy. Exactly. One of the main uh, exorcists, Father Verglack, which Father Verglack, he hangs out with Ed and Lorraine Warren a lot. Um... But he, like, one morning after, I don't I don't know if it was the first exorcism, but he, like, went home to take a nap before he had, like, church in the morning. So he was up all night doing the exorcism, went home to take a nap. And then when he woke up, there was, his pillow was covered in blood. And it wasn't like he had a nosebleed. Whose blood? I don't know. Just huh. blood. Well, I mean, fuck that no matter what, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, after the lesser exorcisms were concluded, at least the first one, uh, they determined that there was not one entity, but 43 demons and two devils. What? Ed Warren described what he saw as one horrible face after another, a kaleidoscope of horrible faces coming at me. Can you please repeat that number? (laughs) 43 demons and two devils. Which that was determined by Ed Warren, demonologist. How much space does one demon take up in a person's soul? 
<laughs> what is like the hard drive capacity? <laughs> Sorry, I was watching Johnny Mnemonic last night. I think it got in my head. <laughs> How much allotted space does one have? Does one demon take up? Yeah. Oh my god. 43. <laughs> How big was this person? <laughs> he was 12. I don't I think demons exist outside of time and space. Oh. <laughs> I mean that probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry uh ignore ignore my theory that was stupid go ahead uh taking care of david became a family matter they began sleeping during the day just so they would have the energy to attempt to calm david at night when his activity was the worst cheyenne who at this time was 18 years old lived with the glatzels and he was very active in helping david the Warren said he was there every night, and he and Debbie would sleep on the ground next to David's bed. Cheyenne would do things like, you know, you holding out his cross, his crucifix, to him, and and he would tell the beast to leave David, and he would say stupid shit like, "Take me on, leave my little buddy alone," and the priests were like. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't invite demons into you, Cheyenne. Don't. And he kept doing it. They were like, "Don't do it. You're being a grade A jackass and you don't understand what you're asking for." Yeah. Wait, I have and a question. He kept doing though. it. I, I forgot to ask you yeah. earlier. What's the difference between a demon and a devil? Well, I never thought that devils possessed. There's a hierarchy if you talk to like a demonologist, they believe that there's like a hierarchy of demons and devils, and I think a devil is more powerful than a demon. Okay. The demons are like crew and the devils are like middle management of hell. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you work retail, there's like yeah. the general manager of unknown theater chain that we used to work at that we're probably not going to tell people exactly where it was and then there's like <laughs> the supervisors and then like the ushers and the concession people right yeah there's a hierarchy there's also a hierarchy okay. in hell and i think like the first couple levels of people are considered not people of these evil spirits the first yeah. couple le levels are considered demons and then the higher up you go they're devils and then there's the devil okay at the top yeah yeah okay i got you mm -hmm. that makes sense that that's mm -hmm. putting it into language that i think anybody can understand <laughs> and at this point uh lorraine notified the police that something was going to happen and they should keep an eye on david and the glatzel family she said it wasn't just myself it was all of the priests who were well aware that it was inevitable that there would be a tragedy, but never ever did we think it would be Arnie. Again, Arnie is Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, once Cheyenne started inviting the demon into himself, like Lorraine was like, oh no, there's going to be some bad shit that happens in this house and we should tell the police. And because they weren't really able to because they weren't, like, doing this full-on exorcism, which we've talked about before, that, like, a full-on exorcism is, like, every week for months or something like that. Like, it's a lot yeah. of exorcisms yeah, that well, they go through. 
when we covered the the true story of the exorcist it was that way where this kid had to go through it time and time again right yeah it's like a constant thing well you know Um, maybe cheyenne meant well i think he did yeah i think he just you know he was doing everything he could he felt like he could to help david yeah but at the same time it don't do that including opening the demon door yeah, don't open the demon door. Keep that door locked tight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so because this was a lesser exorcism, David only went through three times where he was being prayed over and stuff. It only happened three times. Okay. It's yeah. not... So, yeah, Ed and Lorraine Warren were, like, there all the time. They just came and visited every once in a while. So it's not, like, a set rule that for every demon you need one exorcism because that no it's <laughs> not how it works quite a while and and no. when, when they moved from one person to the other like they all decided to go it was a team vote no as we'll see okay yeah and now we're about to get into that part oh. months later debbie and cheyenne visited the house they bought but never moved into they obviously were very stressed out with Dealing with David, trying to get new jobs, that they did not put a lot of work into this new house they just bought, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, together, they stood looking in the window of the home, and Cheyenne said, There he is, the beast. There he is. Debbie looked at him, and he was growling, teeth bared, staring straight ahead. She slapped him a few times and said, Hey, you're possessed. And that's it? And that's what... That it happened. So if anyone um, you know is ever possessed, you slap them in the face a few times and you say, hey, you're possessed. Yeah. It didn't cure his possession, but I think she was just freaked out. So she was like, slap, slap. Hey, oh my God, you're possessed. Debbie reports after that, Cheyenne would also get up in the middle of the night and stare or stand beside their bed and stare at her. He would also punch things and ramble and talk about hell, and he would refuse to go to church. During this time, Am I possessed? Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been refusing During to go to time- church for years. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie and Cheyenne rented a room or apartment. From Debbie's employer, who I mentioned before, Alan Bono. And the reason why is a little... Who knows? Um, I think it's probably because they were very stressed out by what was going on at the Glatzel's house. I think Debbie realized it was getting to Cheyenne because he was acting all fucking crazy. So they decided to rent a room because they couldn't move into their new house yet. Um, It just so happened that this room was right up it was in the same worked at the kennels oh okay Mm -hmm. debbie being the pseudo mother to all the johnson kids still uh, along with all the craziness happening at the gladsells she still got they're still taking care well not her kids it's the johnson's kids yeah but still like that yeah that's why is that even worse in my mind like i don't want to say worse but like unnecessary um well the mom that cheyenne's mom was ill she had some sort of chronic illness so i mean i get it yeah that's a lot to take on when you're also have like possession on the table and 
homeownership. They were trying to help David. Yeah, homeownership on top of that. They were obviously very stressed, which is why I think they decided to just rent this apartment. Uh, Debbie, being the pseudo-mother to the Johnson kids, would take them to work some days. Alan Bono, by all accounts, was a very laid-back dude. He was also drunk a lot. Debbie reportedly did the majority of the work at the kennel. Okay. February 16th, 1981. Debbie goes to work with Cheyenne's sisters Wanda, 15, and Janice, 13, and their cousin Mary, who is 9, in tow. Cheyenne also decides to call in sick this day and comes along with them to the kennel. And the majority of the story is according to Wanda, who is 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. Bono took them all. So they get to the kennel. Debbie starts working. They're all just chilling. Then Bono decides to take them all out to lunch at the Mug and Munch Cafe, where he drank, as he did, lots. Uh, Wanda said Debbie and Cheyenne may have also drank as well. Uh, she's only 15, so I don't think she's very familiar with, like, if someone's drunk or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said they may have drank. After lunch, the group went back to the kennels. Cheyenne repaired Alan's stereo, and Wanda says after that, Bono just started, like, blasting music and dancing and just, like, having a ball. He was probably pretty drunk at this time. Ah, that checks out. Yeah, that sounds like he might have been pretty drunk. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's what we've done in the past. Sure, yeah. Yeah. As long as you're not being violent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't, he was probably being violent. Uh, I imagine, yeah. Maybe. Debbie took all the girls out for for some pizza in, like, the afternoon. This was, like, around five, I think. Mm -hmm. Five or six. Debbie takes all the girls out for some pizza. Wanda says Debbie was in a rush during this pizza outing because she sensed that there was going to be trouble. That's intuition for you. Yeah. The girls get back to the kennel around 6 p.m., and Bono invited them all up to his apartment which is upstairs, next to... It's unclear whether Debbie was renting a room in Bono's apartment or there were actually two apartments upstairs. Okay. Um, But they lived in close quarters upstairs of the kennel. Um, But they all went up to his apartment. And there he turned on the TV, too loud again, again, probably drunk, and he started acting, like, violent and crazy. At one point, he grabbed Mary... Mary was the Mm nine-year-old. Debbie fought him off. And it's unclear why he grabbed Mary. I don't know why. But Debbie fought him off. And at this point, Cheyenne comes in. And we don't know where he was up till this point. The last we heard of him, he was fixing Alan's stereo. That's a good alibi. Yeah. Left? Like, he's just... He wasn't around, though. Yeah. Okay. Debbie starts fighting Alan. Cheyenne comes in. Wanda and Debbie try to hold Cheyenne back, but he was growling like an animal. Cheyenne stabs Bono multiple times in the chest and stomach. He falls to the ground, dead. Cheyenne drops the knife, walks out of the building, and into the woods, staring straight ahead. He was arrested an hour later. Wow. For moiter. Yeah, no shit. That is a... Very violent. I mean, I feel like if you're killing someone else, chances are it's violent. But, like, that is a particularly gruesome way to go about it. Yeah. And from what Wanda says, 
it sounds very cold. It's not as if Cheyenne and Bono were like scrapping and fighting for a while and then it escalated to stabbing. Yeah. It's like he walked in, stabbed him, or he walked in, was growling like an animal, stabbed him many, many times, and then just left. Yeah, and it's not like it was a crime of passion is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it it would have been like almost like he was set off, but it's not as if... But there was no natural... They were in a fight. Yeah, there was no like natural um, escalation of the situation at all. Exactly. It's not like it's not like a bar fight where they were just like fighting and it escalated to murder. It's like he came in there, he murdered, and then he left. Yeah. It was the first murder in the town's history, and naturally, Anderson, who was the chief of police, he said, We couldn't have a simple, uncomplicated murder. Oh, no. Instead, everyone in the whole world converges on Brookfield. He was very annoyed by the fact that this was like an absolute media circus. Yeah. When it came time for the trial, Martin Manella took the case pro bono after hearing a tape in which David could be heard naming 42 of the demons' names in Latin. And he attempted to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Was there any proof that he knew Latin before? No. Ah. There's no proof. And I think a 12-year-old from a small, like, farm town in Connecticut doesn't know latin just saying yeah most of them according to manella the possessed by demon defense had been used twice before in england but neither instance did the case go to jury Mm -hmm. the wounds in alan bono's body were too deep manella says for them to have been the work of human hands a fact which is now hard to determine because the body was cremated of course well that's convenient yeah Lorraine Warren agreed that Johnson had been possessed at the time of the murder, and Manella planned to fly in experts from Europe and subpoena the priest who had been involved in the exorcisms of David Glatzel, none of which ultimately came to pass because the judge rejected the plea, said that such a defense would be impossible to prove and a testimony on the subject was irrelevant and unscientific. Hmm. Well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. There's a yeah. lot to this case, and I know I'm still, and I know this was a while ago, but I'm still hung up on leave my buddy alone. Yeah, I'm. He said, "Come into me, leave my friend alone." So, had that been the fork in the road, and David was the younger one, right? Yeah, that was first. David possessed. was the twelve year old. Yeah, the twelve year old that was first possessed. If David had remained. The only person to be possessed, would he have killed that dude? I don't think so. No. Mm. I don't think he has any reason to. I don't think he ever, like, met that dude. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just feel like... It's wrong. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, I mean, obviously murder is wrong, but I mean, like... It's wrong to me that they would have to jump into this other body to kill the guy. If the demons were the ones that wanted that guy dead, it shouldn't have... Maybe it should have happened earlier. But like you said, I I guess if you never met him. Yeah, I think kind of the theory with demonic possession is that the demons take over your body and cause you to do evil things. 
I don't think the demons are out here killing people. <laughs> I think demons want you to do bad shit. Yeah, so it's like generic bad shit. It's not like they're in the movie Kill Bill and there's like a list that they've got written down. Yeah, like- I don't think the demons are targeting anyone to kill. They're just like, hey, you're, you seem weak. I'm going to take you over and we're going to do some bad shit. Yeah, you have some some aggression somewhere in your soul. Let's bring that out to the surface and play. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnson changed his plea to self-defense, which failed. On November 24th, 1981, Johnson was convicted of first-degree manslaughter and sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, though he only served five because of good behavior. Reportedly, he was a model inmate. So you're telling me that after very graphically, that's probably the wrong word, um, viciously fucking killing some guy, Mm -hmm. just play nice for five years and you could walk out? Yeah. He never had another, like, violent outburst in jail. He was just a nice guy. He got his high school diploma while he was in jail, and he married Debbie while he was in jail. Well, I guess and his reportedly age. now, yeah, yeah, he was young. Um, he's a landscaper now, and he has two sons and two grandsons. With her? Yep. I can't believe she stood by him through all that. Yeah, I think she very wholeheartedly sticks to the story that he was possessed. And that's why she can forgive him for what happened. Okay, well then let me ask you, <clears throat> if... This was you in her position, mm-hmm. and it was Danny that did that. Like, would you be by his side through all this? Would you be like, oh, okay, well, he was just possessed, so I can hang in there? I don't know. It's a well. I don't like in a way it was self. It was defense. Like Alan Bono was attacking. If I was Debbie. He was attacking my nine-year-old cousin. Yeah. You know? So the fact that my boyfriend in this scenario came up and stabbed him, I think it would be a little much, but (laughs) I don't think I would... I think I would forgive him, like, for real. Yeah? I would be like, you know, next time, just punch him a lot. Don't bring out the knife right away. I mean, good for you. Um, I just don't know if... I could forgive Andy for that. That'd be a hard sell. Yeah. Only because if someone's capable of killing at all, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder like how safe my future really is. And especially if I want to have kids with that person. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like we're all capable of killing. It just is like to what extent and how easy it would be for you to kill. Yeah. Like it, well, yeah, that makes sense, because if you're put in a self-defense circumstance, or you felt like, like your loved a- one was in mortal danger, you'd do what you had to yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're same page about it then. Yeah. And as far as uh, David, he was still possessed during the time of the trial. What? <laughs> though the attacks came less and less frequently, and now he's fine. Really? Yep. And David and Cheyenne both have no memory of being possessed. 
uh, Manella, the lawyer, mm-hmm. he's still confident in the fact that it was a possession. He says, there's a lot of crazy people out there that have contacted me to represent them with the same idea. The devil made me do it. Our case, of course, was based on fact and not fiction. Well, so he's very confident. Yeah. I mean, and that was similar to the exorcist case like that. What that kid in real life went through, he went on Mm -hmm. to live a normal life and he's even moved back to the area where all this stuff happened. That's And he seems fine with it. But who's to say that the demon's really gone? Huh? Well, does he believe that he was possessed? Um, I'd have to revisit my research if I'm being honest about it. But from what I remember looking through everything, he just is like, well, everything's fine now. Mm-hmm. And whatever he believed, he's made peace with it. Yeah. I think that... I always wonder, because if you are... If you, if you believe in God, you believe in the devil, right? So, if you believe in God, you should... I think in a way believe that people can be possessed yeah but like i said there's other wild things that may have happened uh someone reported that david he first saw the uh creepy old guy um at a well that was on the property of the house and then at some point cheyenne went back to the well hmm. uh there was also someone said that david predicted there would be a car accident and then cheyenne got in a car accident and then also Ed and Lorraine Warren said that it wasn't the house. It was the fact that Judy, their mom, was doing witchcraft. So That's she brought it all on, come. according to That's her. That's what Ed and Lorraine Warren say. I don't know where they got that information. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't know. <laughs> you think that's possible? I I don't know. Well, the thing is, Judy... And Carl, they seem very, very devout, you know? They're very devout people. So I don't think that they would be into witchcraft. But also, I'm like, why would Ed and Lorraine Warren lie about that? Like, why would they make that up? I mean, especially when Ed and Lorraine's thing seemed to be demonic possessions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason to really guide everybody down this other path unless they felt that that was truly legitimate. What? Witchcraft? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess it all ties in together, but just in, in my yeah. mind, they believe that, like, demons are demons, and it's not necessarily, like, a person who's performing a ritual to call it down. Yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah, that's kind of, I don't... That's why I'm very skeptical of them, just because they literally make their money off of talking about demonic possession. So they have all the reason in the world to want to fabricate a story. I mean, honestly, I, I feel the same way about anyone who makes money off of a faith based service. Yeah. As oh, bad yeah. as that sounds, like, you know, the people that <laughs> no, own the mega churches but don't let people in during mm-hmm. a hurricane, those kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Who are like fucking billionaires. Yeah. That that's just as bad as someone who's pretending to be a medium when they're not. Right. Or someone who's saying they're going to perform an exorcism for someone who's really in need of some kind of service. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it is the power of suggestibility. Oh, yeah. Which, in in this case, a lot of it kind of leans to that, where one, like, Judy and Carl are very devout people. Whether they were into witchcraft or not, like I said, if you believe in God, you believe in the dev- in the devil. And Judy was already distrustful of physicians, doctors, right? Mm-hmm. So when something was wrong with David... Judy very likely could have just been putting the idea into his head that there's a demon inside you. I don't know what's wrong with you. You have a learning disability. He might have had other problems. There was also, I don't know if this relates, but uh, he was had a learning disability, right? He also was antisocial. He also was a little overweight. So I think because of all three of those things, it probably made him kind of an outcast at school. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, which is unfor- it was super unfortunate. No reason why that had to happen, no. but that's just our society. And I think his family didn't know how to, he was, he might have been depressed or anxious or something, and they didn't know how to address that or even recognize it. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a big history of, excuse the term, but people being like demonized for not being typical in terms of what right. society's expecting. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not conforming, and people think you're freaking weird. And if people at school were telling him he's weird, and if his mom didn't know how to, like, talk to him about it, and she just knew her faith, it's very possible that she could have planted that idea in David's head, and David may have just not known different. Because it's his mom. Of course he's going to trust her. So in that case, he wasn't actually possessed. It's more like the suggestiveness and like really brainwashing him into thinking that he is so he believes it exactly there's no legitimacy to it yeah okay yeah totally it's hard to say and especially because they did refuse the full psychiatric evaluation we'll never know yeah just sad but at least he's okay now thank goodness um i'm curious what the listeners are feeling about this case the story yeah yeah me too this case it's a I've very been too much back and forth one <laughs> yeah well this is a crime it's a murder it's a murder it is a true crime but um <laughs> thank you not just thank you for the story because the story was cool but thank you for laying it out in such a way that it was fairly easy to understand being such a complicated case it was very complicated that was beautifully there's done. more complicated i'm not quite done oh shit Okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, he's okay now. Right on. David's all right. Yeah, they're 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 both all right. The whole family seems like they're doing pretty good, which is great. But it's not the end. Um, but not Alan Bono, obviously. He was killed by Cheyenne. Um, maybe he was just drunk or stressed because we kind of talked about how, what could have been going on with David. Mm-hmm. But then we have to think, well, why the fuck did Cheyenne kill a guy when he was just involved like do you think cheyenne was possessed um no yeah um i think that what was the woman's name again remind me debbie Debbie. his girlfriend yeah i think um the way that the seed may have been planted in david it also may have been planted in cheyenne because he was way younger, right? If I'm remembering their ages correctly. Yeah. yeah. So he was s- seven, 
Yeah, so I feel it's totally possible that she could have been grooming him from a young age to be devout. And that she may have been possibly planting those seeds of demonic possession is real and this is how you know if you're possessed. And if she felt that she needed a deed done, then there you go. Yeah? Yeah. I don't see why not. I mean... Yeah, if we're completely... We don't... Yeah. We don't know that Debbie had problems with Alan Bono, but I wouldn't be surprised if she did, because everyone said he was kind of an asshole, and he was her boss. So... Yeah, I think she could And her just, landlord. Yeah, exactly. So she could have so been just really good at manipulating the men in her life. Yeah, there's definitely a poss- There's no reports that she hated him, but I wouldn't be surprised if she did. Yeah. And then, yeah, maybe she was just planting those seeds in Cheyenne's head, and when they actually got in a physical altercation, Cheyenne knew what Debbie wanted him to do, and he just did it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That would explain why it's so, like, cold that it wasn't a brawl. Right? Yeah. Like, he just stood there and he knew that, like, Debbie wants me to kill this guy. Yeah. So he just did it. Yeah. He's basically trained to do it. Yeah. Or manipulated into doing it. Totally. But I don't know. Like, um, That would explain why, like, she took him back so quickly. Or not even broke up with him at all, probably. They got married while he was in prison. Yeah. So, of course, she wouldn't want to just dump him after that. Like, in reality, he would have done a huge favor for her. Like, she owes him a a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the the person, like me, the paranormal podcaster, wants to say totally demons. But I think in this particular instance, I'm letting my rational mind take over, and I think that it was probably all her. I think I agree with you. And so this this story is going to be made into The Conjuring, number three, called The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah. I think that's coming out this summer. I'm not going to watch it. I will, and I'll tell everyone about (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I wanted to talk about this story because I do find it, like, very wild and i think so much of it really can be explained logically that it's important to like talk about these cases so you don't automatically sensationalize it like this fucking movie's gonna do because it's gonna be ridiculous yeah no that's good it's sad because like a guy died like a man got murdered and they're making so much money off it making this movie well and And i I don't like that no i'm with you and i I don't agree with it i always get frustrated when I love a movie for being as crazy as it is, but then I get fascinated by the case, so I'll go into what actually happened. And when they say based on a true story, the tiny nugget of truth that they actually plucked to use for that script is like, mm-hmm. it's almost wrong to even say that it's based on anything that's real. Right. Yeah. And it's definitely going to be that this movie. Yeah. Um, One more note. Carl, the older brother to David, sued the Warrens and their co-writer, claiming that they exploited David's mental illness. Apparently in the book that Ed and Lorraine Warren wrote, uh, they said that, like, Carl wasn't supportive with the exorcisms. And Carl was like, I'm the only sane voice in this room. Slash family. uh, 
Yeah. And he, a lot of what, like, the damages he was seeking, David was also involved in this lawsuit, but David wasn't the main guy. He wasn't as vocal about it. Uh, but Carl, mostly what he was suing for was the emotional damages for just him being, like, terrorized at school because of how widely publicized it was by the Warrens. Yeah. And then he also, like, he shot on them because, like, you guys are making money off of my family suffering. But then Carl goes and sells one of the chairs that the family owned for $67,000 to fucking Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> it just, Carl, it's like, you sue these people for- affliction t-shirts. Get out of here, you poser. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine he's fine he's is making he? his money is he? i don't know <laughs> i don't know <sighs> whatever how much i mean i can't say i've watched i watch ghost adventures i like it yeah <laughs> it's a fun so does show. Andy. what what was he paid sixty seven thousand dollars for a chair yeah it was one of the chairs that got like flung across the house when david was possessed why would you want to own that he he has a whole haunted shit museum. Oh. Oh, so he LA, bought it to make more money, really. Oh, yeah. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was... Ooh, did you see... This was recent. Zach Baggins was hanging out with Post Malone. You know why? Post Malone, right? Yeah, why were they hanging out? That's weird. Is that the I whole don't know. story? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that wild? No, there's this video... Where um, Zach is taking posts, like, through his fucking haunted museum, and they walk into this room. It was a, um, shit, it's like a, the Baduk cabinet, a Duk cabinet, you know what I'm talking about? Babadook? It, oh, no, that's a different it's thing. It's what Babadook was based on, but okay. it's, like, called a, a Baduk thing. Okay. I can't remember, but it's just, like, a haunted-ass little cabinet thing. Mm-hmm. With a like an evil spirit, I think it's called a Baduk. I could be wrong, um, but there's a, a surveillance video of Zach bringing Post Malone in, and then they both like freak out, like they look in the corner of the room and they like jump and like get scared. It's wild, and then they run out of the room, both of them. Uh, share that with me later. Okay, everyone, look it up. It's wild. Yeah, especially if you like Post Malone. I do because it's like that's the reason he's that I'm obviously it. like terrified like he saw something in the room and was like shitting his pants <laughs> that's clickbait want to see post malone shit his pants on video yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool but yeah that's pretty much all i had um that's damn good i enjoyed thank it you. um speaking thank of you. damn good are you ready for this week's sponsor before we hit up shitty cryptid let's fuck it up yeah all right, so I would like to talk about a product that I am personally endorsing on top of professionally endorsing because I love the absolute heck out of their decaf. This is space-time coffee that we're talking about. Do you enjoy brewing your own coffee at home or at work? Do you crave high-quality, ethically sourced beans without all the pretense or information overload? Do you like the convenience of having it delivered right to you? Would you rather support a small independent business with your hard-earned cash dollars than a large corporation or chain? Welcome, all fellow art life living, 
cult-culture-loving coffee enthusiasts. By design, Spacetime Coffee is a small-scale, fresh, roasted-to-order micro-roaster, offering delivery directly to your door. This means that all orders are roasted individually within 72 hours of shipping. Spacetime Coffee guarantees all the SCA, or Specialty Coffee Association, talking points and ethical practices, but they're not hell-bent on flaunting them. The aim is to keep things straightforward, to consistently offer light, medium, and dark roast options, utilizing coffees intrinsically suited to the individual roast levels. These coffees change periodically as fresh crop becomes available seasonally. Specialized, limited-release offerings will also be available from time to time. Beyond the sale of coffee, Adam strives to actively engage in social progress and the support of independent artists, especially those working outside the norm, to help enable all of us to put our time, energy, and resources into our passions, with space-time coffee here to fuel us along the way. This is coffee both by and for free thinkers, DIYers, and all creative types making their own way out on the fringe. You have landed in the right place. And Spacetime Coffee comes out of Milwaukee, but delivered anywhere in the U.S. Coming from somebody who, like me, I can't have caffeine, but I've been missing coffee like crazy. I've been disappointed by the taste of decaf at most big places, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I will vouch that this coffee is out of this world, and it's honestly, like, swear to demons, the best coffee, the best decaf <laughs> coffee that I've ever had. Um, so check them out. If you want to get some space time coffee, it is damn fine anytime. Their website is www.spacetimecoffee.com. You can also find them on Instagram at spacetimecoffeemke. Fucking sick. So... Thanks, Adam, for the shout-out last week. We're happy to support you, bud. Yes, thank you. It's shitty cryptid time. (laughs) You ready? Yeah. Tell me about the sparkling, shrieking soda can bong of 7-Eleven. Oh, my God. (laughs) Soda can bong. Okay. Wait, soda can bong? I thought soda cans were bowls. A bowl, whatever. Soda can bowl. I don't think you can make a bong out of That's a what soda can. It's a, it's a bowl. So okay, sparkling, okay. shrieking soda can bowl of seven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think technically it's considered a bowl. That's all I'd say. <laughs> it's your okay. cryptid. Sparkling, you tell it. <laughs> shrieking soda can bowl of Seven Eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is going to get really violent. I'm ready I'm for it. I'm telling you right now. Okay. So I don't know about you, but when I was younger, like early college, late high school, the coolest thing to do was to hang out behind, like in the, the alleys of restaurants and gas stations and stuff. Did you ever have a phase like that? Uh, like a real grunge of- phase? Actually, this sounds weird. It wasn't even high school. It was more like middle school. Oh, 
You hit it early then. I did. I hit it real <laughs> you early. You matured we, before I did. I was always a late bloomer, so maybe that's just me. No, we, we used to hang out. Um, You know where Checkers is in Waldorf? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. We used to, there was like a little walkway between that and the coffee house we used to so, go, uh, we used to go see bands play at. So when, oh. when a band set was done, we would like hang out in that alley behind the Checkers. Yeah. Okay. Weird? So you get it. Yeah. No. Because I used to hang out, my spot was like the next to the dumpster at the Royal Farms <laughs> near where I lived in Towson. <laughs> oh, man, if that's I loved not you it. in a nutshell. <laughs> we would go get a bag of fried chicken and sit by the dumpster and eat it all before walking home. <laughs> You've always been punk rock, I tell you what. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> but okay, so there's these kids who they do that they're deep in their punk rock grunge phase and they think the coolest place to hang out is behind the 7-eleven right and these kids they're very um lgbtqia plus positive kind of people so they're very you know they just do their thing with their style you know they're very punk rock in that they they're all different like, you have one guy who wears, like, a hot pink mini skirt all the time. You have this, like, other dude over here that's, like, covered in studs. Like, they're very diverse. Well, yeah, they don't, they don't conform. Looking that's people. the whole point. They don't conform. Yeah. Exactly. They don't conform. They're, you know, we're, we're, we have a, um, this episode sponsored by nonconformity, I think. <laughs> yeah, so it's perfect. Perfect sponsor exactly. for a perfect so, yeah. cryptid. Yes. Well, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... But anyways, they're very, like, different kind of people. They got all these different styles. They're very that, like, punk rock kind of people. And so they like to go behind the 7-Eleven. And they go to 7-Eleven. They, of course, patronize the 7-Eleven first because that's the nice thing to do. You don't hang out in parking lots unless you give them money. No, you buy your just nachos. Just as a standard rule. Exactly. You buy your Slurpee. So they... Right. They go buy their nachos and they always buy, you know, a couple cans of Coca-Cola, you know? Yeah. So that when they hang out behind the 7-Eleven, they can take out their tiny little pocket knife and, like, cut it into that little um, delightful soda can bowl that we've all seen. Yes. Um, And never made ourselves or anything, ever. (laughs) Never once. Um, No. (laughs) If you want to know how to do it, Google it. Actually, don't, because I think smoking out of, like colored tin like with the i think that's not safe i think (laughs) you can get carcinogens from the the dye on the outside of the thing yeah don't do that go buy a real bowl um yeah you (laughs) or something kids go buy yourself a real bowl from the from the little shop support your independent head shops right so anyways, these kids were very, like, you know, alternative. So one of them was just, you know, like like a, what's the term, manic dream pixie girl. And she always had, like, her glitter on her, right? So they were hanging out with their soda can bongs behind the 7-Eleven when all of a sudden, wham, a semi runs, runs into the dumpster next to them, flattening them all into pancakes. What? Glitter goes everywhere. No. And they scream. But glitter is great. I'm so conflicted. <laughs> so they say if you visit this 7-Eleven today 
at a certain time of night at 2.17 a.m., you can first see the cloud of glitter next to the dumpster. Just And then all of a sudden, neck rolling from the dumpster to your feet. Is, is that a soda can? Is that a Coke? You pick it up. You're like, wow, this is cut in a very odd shape. And it smells like a skunk. That's strange. <laughs> and then you hear the shrieking. <laughs> as you can still hear their screams right before they were their lives their beautiful lives were ended so young so it managed to like and capture their moments of their mo collective moment of death yeah huh and that's the story of the sparkling shrieking soda can bong of 7-eleven awesome that's pretty sad that was weird and wild and thank you for that ride <laughs> that was pretty sad that's what we're going to end our season on. A oh. very sad story I just made up. Um, according to last episode, now there needs to be a theme song for each cryptid. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I forgot. Here's my song. Soda can bong. Soda can bong. Sparkling, shrieking, soda can bong. That's all I got. <laughs> That's it? Oh, it's so yep. peppy and like I can. Then it goes Seven Eleven, Seven Eleven, Death yeah. and Gore, Seven Eleven, get some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. And, uh, <laughs> with that, listeners, thank you for a wonderful twenty-episode season. Yes, thank we you. We appreciate all the love. The repost, the telling your friends, the the fan mail, and everything. Come back on, what's the date again? March 27th. March 27th, yeah. In the meantime, all of you guys could check out our sister podcasts at podmoth.network. Yep. I've been getting really into Leave the Lights On podcast recently. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. Um, just to name a couple others that you could check out, Supernatural Sisters, the Offbeat Worm Podcast, the Lost Signal Podcast, the Odd Dentity Pod, My Crunchy Podcast, and many more! Yeah. Support our sister pods. We promise everybody is a good time. Yeah, they really are. Yep. And, um, and I think it's great, too, that it's not just that we're on a network with these people. We do actually, in our spare time, enjoy checking out all their stuff. We really do. Yeah. I haven't gotten to every single one of them, but because I I'm a binger. Like when I yeah. get on one, I have to listen to the entire thing first. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone that I've listened to the entire thing of so far <laughs> has been fantastic. Yeah. But um, yeah. in the in the meantime, make sure that you're following us on Instagram at mm -hmm. Paranerds Podcast and mm -hmm. give us some mail to read over the next two weeks so we have a full inbox ready. For the yeah. brand spanking new season two. That's paranerdspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we would love some new topics if you guys want to throw some at us. We have a whole new season to fill with content. I know. Seriously. We'd love some ideas. So if you listen to any one of our episodes in season one and you feel like, oh man, I wish they'd talk about this story, let us know. We're here for yeah, it. Yeah, please. Okay. Well, thanks again and we'll... See you in two weeks. Bye. Goodbye.